people have opinions without being fully informed. Trust me, I'm a Canadian here. I don't care if you're a Christian, Messianic, or Hebrew roots. I want to know if your theology is biblical. Maybe I'm right. Of course I'm right. If you're going to cite a source, be responsible. You know, cite your source. Your longest college. Hey, we're just having a conversation. There's only 36 people listening anyway, right? You can Google it. Wow, at what point does history matter? At what point does truth matter? An alien invasion. Is it biblical? Of course it is. Look, there's a way to do scholarship and a way not to do scholarship. you got to set your source. Who's your source? My best friend's sister's boyfriend's brother's girlfriend heard from this guy who knows his kid is going with the girl. And that about sums it up. What up and shalom. Welcome to the Robin Caleb Show, the show where theology matters, scholarship counts, and of course, theology matters. My name is Caleb Hag, and with me, Rob Van Huff. What up, Rob? How's it going, brother? It's going very, very well. You know, I can't figure out this whole... Good. Like, yeah, no doubt about that. I can't figure out this whole start thing with... Uh, with... Uh, Facebook. Sorry, I'm I'm a little distracted because it didn't really start the way that I thought it was going to. And this give you a countdown kind of thing. Yeah, it does, but then it doesn't go live. So, like, at least not on my end. So I'm trying to see if like, trying to see if it's going if it's actually gone live, and it looks like it has. So we're good, I guess. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, up and shalom to everybody there on Facebook. I see ya. I see you there on Facebook. And uh, what up and shalom to everybody watching later. Hey, by the way, folks, if you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel, you really should. It's awesome. Our uh, our YouTube channel is where it's at. And uh, so, yeah, do that. Um, yeah, what have you, you been up to, Rob? Are you getting ready for Passover or what? Oh, yeah. I, I, I see you got your box of matzah there in the back. Box my, I got I, it. Yeah, I got. I, I grabbed like three three boxes the other day at Trader Joe's. They have uh, Holy Land uh, matzah, and it's a really good buy. And they have you have to get there early because you know it clears out, and then they're like, "Wow, sorry, we're out." So I'm trying to be ahead of the curve here. Nice. Um, yeah, very cool. Had had uh, breakfast with a with a brother in the Lord this morning, uh, Nate from Boise. Yeah, how was uh, that? Uh, awesome time. Baruch Hashem. I'd been in touch with him through Facebook and stuff, but never, uh, uh, and he, he'd pinged me before it never worked out. So this morning it worked out that we could talk for a few hours. Most people might, well, I, I don't know, maybe people do know Nate Long. Is he, uh, what's he doing in uh, the Spokane? He had some business in the business in the area today, and then he's heading out today. So, yeah. Interesting. Cool. Yeah. Right on. I'm only getting some of the chat. And by the way, just so that people know, if I start hitting myself randomly, it's because I got ants. Sugar ants have now invaded my uh, my my desk, which is awesome. Uh -oh. Of That's course, your drips of sugar. Uh... <laughs> uh, all right, yeah. All right. Well, let's see here. Let me get back. Let, let me get just just don't let them near your books. That's exactly. All right. For those who might not know, you can give us a call. Call our comment line. Tell us that you hate us. Tell us that you love us. Tell us whatever you want to. 253-465-3205. And of course, uh, the Robin Caleb Show is brought to you by Torah Resource. Go to Torah Resource. Find all sorts of great free stuff, all sorts of teachings. The library grows every single week. And uh, 
Who was there? Uh, oh, uh, Nate. Nate. Nate was. Uh, uh, Lois is asking. She didn't catch all of it. Nate Long was in uh, Spokane, and uh, that's who he had breakfast with this morning. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, you can also uh, get ten percent off anything at YeshuaShirts.com because they support this show by sending us free product, and we love them for that. You can start a conversation today. Go to YeshuaShirts.com, put in the coupon code TRRADIO and get 10% off. And for those who uh, are watching, you can also get a cup, just like the one that uh, Rob is uh, sm Actually, smothering his camera I with. We I thought we had one of a kinds here. Nope, not anymore. We just had the, we have the first ones. Okay, so these are, do these have a number? Mine's number one, Caleb, you're number two, sorry. No. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> no, yeah, uh, good, good stuff. Okay. Well, um, I think everybody's seen it by now, and I don't think uh, you know we're we're uh, we're telling anything people Can don't know. Can I share know. a little? Okay, we're in Nissan now, right? Yes. As okay, of so uh, yesterday the, morning, we're in the first month, and we're counting to uh, Passover, of course. Now, we are. So, what's the matzah? And I know we're going to be talking about this, so we can kind of just throw it out there. One of the lessons of of unleavened bread for us in Messiah is is to uh, is not to think of ourselves as something we're not, hmm. right? Mm -hmm. We're not to be puffed up and to imagine ourselves to be something we're not. Rather, we want to have a sober self-assessment. This is like Romans 12. This is in in First Corinthians 5 when he says, "You are a, a sincerity and truth. This is who you are in, in Messiah." Matzah is very simple. Unleavened bread is is very very simple. It's like the manna from the wilderness. You know, it's it it's not super flashy. It's not super sensational. Mm -hmm. It's it's uh, sufficient uh, uh, provision from God for our needs so that we can abide and focus on our relationship with him. So we can abide in the, the Shema and love one another. And I think that this lesson of what is unleavened bread is so beautiful because it's not only do we get to enjoy the, you know, seven day med meditation on the, the feast of unleavened bread, but, um, but it, through the whole year, we recognize, wow, this is our true nature all the time is unleavened bread. And in scholarship, when we talk about theology matters, right? Scholarship counts, etc. Yeah, yeah. One of the principles here is that we want to be sober. Again, I'm I'm going to plug the Daniel Wallace uh, presentation. I know the audio sales off. I was bummed because I told I got someone excited about it the other day, and then I went to send him the link, and I'm like, oh, it's back up to 100 bucks now. Oh, sorry, dude. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I got I sold. Maybe he went and bought it anyway. But the point is this: is Dr. Wallace in the middle of that, and I think I mentioned this last week. He says, look, to do honor to Christ, to do honor to Messiah, we need to be real with the sources. We can't be puffing up, you know, things. We want to be honest, just weights and measures, right, along across the board. And, and when you listen to Dr. Wallace's treatment of whether he's talking about manuscript history, uh, translation history, the ideologies behind different translations, um, and... All the the creating an uh, an eclectic text versus you know all the different things. I mean, there's what twenty some odd different lectures, thirty that you can listen to. But in my hearing, underscoring all those is the simple 
the simplicity and the sincerity and truth that I believe honors Messiah mm. that I see in Dr. Wallace in those presentations. And I'm really grateful for them. If, if you didn't get a chance to download for free, it's worth a hundred bucks. Easy. Just to get the audio and to pay an extra 20 or whatever for the, the slide deck. And if you, if you have some money and you're ready to invest in something like that, get the video as well. Get the video and use it. You can use it as a part of your homeschool curriculum maybe. I don't know. But um, anyway... Unleavened bread is, we want to be, we're on a sober self-assessment. We don't want to think of ourselves something we're not. And one of the discussions, one of the uh, kind of side notes in my discussion with Nate this morning, that we, you know, all over the place talking about great stuff, trying to rein in our conversation, um, was he and I both had experiences parallel in the 90s, -hmm. it seems like, where... I know for me personally, I was listening to teachers that I was enthusiastic about, but I didn't have the discernment. And when I look back now and I see that they, they, ha- they did not have accurate, they sp- still don't have accurate self-assessments. They think they're imagining themselves to be something they're not. Mm. And it's polluting. It, it confuses the, it muddies the waters in terms of clarity of thought. And, and then we have to go back and start waiting. We have to discern. We have, to just, we have to build discernment and knowledge, and discipleship is a big part of that. And um, again, we're, our challenge with this influx on, on of the billion hours of YouTube that's consumed every day in the world is we want to build on rock. We, we want to be patient, and we want to be uh, uh, discerning to not jump onto the bandwagon of these sensationalist, uh, you know, super... Uh, hyped up kind of claims about Bible prophecy and uh, things that, you know, Hebrew word pictures, Gematria, I mean, and Tikkun Olam, which we'll talk about today. But these are little, little things that, that in my view, the enemy sows in there and then people get excited about it and then they go astray. Uh, Okay. I'm, I'll stop there. No, 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 you're fine. Um, I'm looking at the, uh, I'm looking at the chat room. Gary just posted something in the chat room. This is great. Credo courses, another sale. This one's free audio download. It's on the resurrection of Jesus. Eight DVDs, 30 videos. Uh, looks like the audio direct download is free. So 30 audio courses. Uh, Dr. Gary Haberman, Habermas? Am cool. I saying that right? Habermas, I think it is. <clears throat> so he's a, the, uh, a professor of apologetics at philosophy, uh, philosophy at Liberty University. Wow. Grab him. Yeah, grab, grab him. him now. Um, I'm going to keep that link open. And also... Uh, Thanks, <clears throat> Thanks. You know, I really enjoy it when people, te- uh, you know, when people log on and, and say where they're they're listening from. It looks like we got people in the UK listening right now. People in Busan, South Korea, people in the Philippines. So it's nice to see that we have, uh, you know, that we're actually reaching people all over the place. Okay, let's let's move on. You know, I, what you were talking about just now actually is going to tie into what we're going to go to here. Um, you know, the whole idea of good scholarship, the, the idea that there's a billion hours collectively watched on YouTube each day throughout the world. Uh, what does that tell us for the way that we, uh, you know, the, for the way that people are, are getting information? It's, uh, yeah. Anyway, um, so... My father wrote just a page and a half little, it's, I wouldn't even call it an article. It's just a little, a little blurb, really. It's a foot, extended footnote. It is an extended footnote. That's right. <laughs> it's an extended footnote. It's not even extended footnote if you look at people like Keener. 
But uh, oh, right. Two books. He wrote a two. Anyway, okay, we've talked about that before. But but uh, so my my dad just put out this little blurb. We published it on Torah Resource because we thought it was good. And and uh, I'll give you the bottom line of of the article. Uh, my father basically says in this little little blurb, he says, "Look, uh, is there is there some paganism that has crept into the Christian church when it comes to Easter? Probably. There, you know, he, he says, I'm not going to discount the fact that there probably is some paganism attached somewhere uh, in the celebration. But his, his main point is, is the name Easter from the goddess Ishtar? And his conclusion is, no, there's absolutely no evidence whatsoever that that is the case. In, in fact, the evidence points to the Germanic... Uh, uh, language essentially attaching Eostra, which was a pagan goddess, to the month of April. And uh, the the German uh, the German people, Germanic people, I should say, took that name of the month that is like it would be like us saying uh, January, right? January is after the the goddess Jan- Janus and anyway, uh, so it would, it, they basically just uh, started calling, the celebration of, of Easter, Easter, because that was the month name. And that's, this is his conclusion of the paper. I, and for those, uh, by the way, we had a huge jump in, uh, I say huge, it was like eight people, uh, in people that's who, big. for us, yeah, for, for us, that's huge. Uh, <laughs> uh, we had a huge jump in people signing up for our show notes. So, uh, I would encourage everybody to go, uh, uh, sign up for show notes. You can do that by going to TorahResource.com, hover over the uh, radio tab, and go down to the Robin Caleb Show. That's the Robin Caleb Show page. You can sign up for our show notes there. Anyway, we send them out every single Wednesday morning before the show so that you have – and it, there's nothing really in there. It's just uh, a link to be able to get to the Facebook page where the chat is going on. It's also um, It also has all the links that we've used uh, in terms of pulling audio clips from things. Anyway, so I put my dad's article in there. You can uh, – if you got the show notes, you can find it there. You can also find it on TorahResource.com. Okay, all that to, be, to say this, uh, of course, Zach Bauer promised that he was going to prove – or that he was going to attempt to prove in a video about uh, that, no, in fact, not only was Easter uh, the origin of, you know, it was uh, Easter was based on Ishtar, but also that it was based on sun worship and Nimrod. And this is uh, what he attempts to prove in this 40-minute, give or take, I think it's uh, about 42 minutes, a long video. Um Mixed reviews, I would say, for for Mr. Bauer on this one. And uh, I think on his own personal YouTube channel, a lot of good comments. Oh, this is great. Thank you so much. Blah, blah, blah. All these, all these kind of great comments. And then on some of the feeds throughout uh, Facebook of his, of his uh, video, not so favorable in some areas. And this is not just coming from me. This is coming from other people in the Hebrew roots slash Messianic movements. And um, I don't want to attempt to bash Zach on this, I, you know, but I, I do think that this is a good example of um, some confusion on what good sources are and confusion on how to present uh, these kind of arguments. And I actually talked to Zach uh, over Messenger uh, personally about this. He, he still can't quite understand how uh, people don't think that he made a good case. He thinks that he proved his point very well. And that he has really good sources. So I wanted to shortly, and we don't have to spend too long on this, but for those who don't know, uh, we we talked about uh, Zach's debate with a Christian apologist um, 
he had a debate on if the Christmas tree was pagan or not. We discussed that during our Christmas special. And of course, now, now that Passover's coming up, this is all these kind of things kind of tie into Passover and the celebration of Easter in the Christian church and these kind of things. So let's listen to some of what, um, what Zach has to say here. Let me get to my notes real quick. So in the first clip, uh, Zach is talking about carnival and carnival for those who don't know is, uh, was an extravagant celebration. It was certainly pagan. It was kind of one of these times in which people would, uh, uh, do all sorts of things that they knew were not right. Um, there was, uh, things of sexual natures going on. There was, um, all just all sorts of things going on that were, were not good at carnival. And so, uh, uh, Zach is attempting to look at Carnival in this first clip. Let's listen to what he has to say. You know, Dr. Ian Smart and journalist Peter Mason, both of them have written lots of studies and books on Carnival and its origins. They have a major disagreement, though, folks. Here's their disagreement. One of them believes, you know, Dr. Ian Smart believes that it traces its roots all the way back to Egypt and Isis and the worship of Isis in the sun god temple or the temple of Ra. Okay, that's where it originates from. And then Peter Mason believes it goes back to Isis in Rome. Or the Roman celebration, it goes back to Rome. I would say they're both wrong and they're both right. I believe, yeah, it does go back to Egypt and it does go back to Rome, but it also goes back farther than that. Before it got to Egypt and before it gets to Rome, it goes back to Babylon, Assyria. It goes back that far. Okay, so this is kind of part and parcel for all of Zach's 40 minute long, uh, uh, video. What he does is he makes these fantastic claims like, okay, it doesn't just go back to Rome. It doesn't just go back to Egypt. So one of these, uh, one of these, one is a scholar, I believe he's a, he's a doctor and a professor. The other one is a, uh, journalist and an investigator. And so, uh, they have this disagreement. One says that, that the celebration of carnival and for those who might not know carnival, uh, the celebration of Lent is when carnival essentially stops, right? So you do all the things that you're not allowed to do during Lent up until Lent in the celebration of carnival. Um, and so he, Zach tends to make these fantastic claims, um, to that he thinks if he makes the claim, then it, I, I don't know, I don't know what the thinking is on this for him. If he makes the claim, then he's proven a point somehow. At no time does he give any evidence or even attempt to give evidence whatsoever that all of these uh, all of these celebrations and everything go all the way back to Babylon. He just makes... Here, here's, here's what I understand. Yeah. I, the way I understand, I didn't watch the whole video, but I did watch uh, good chunks of it. Um, and then I did read some of this back and forth on some Facebook threads where he was interacting. And the sense I get is that what, uh, what he's trying to do is argue that uh, from a position we need to guard and protect God's commandments from pagan influence. And, I, thing. and I would agree. I would agree with that. And, and then he, uh, so that's one thing, guard and protect the Torah from pagan influence. And then on the other hand, he uh, seems to come from a perspective in that vigilance to mm -hmm. protect is the idea that if you don't clarify and articulate uh, the pagan influence, uh, uh, the sources of where uh, what he calls pagan influences have come from, 
then you are keeping a base. I don't know if he uses this, but you're basically leaving part of the wall, part of the city uh, wall unprotected. And uh, those traditions like Easter egg hunts or I don't know what other kinds of things are going to start creeping back in to uh, your communities because you have to uh, basically part of this protection is to is to show people uh, an origin of paganism in the Bible for that particular practice. And that's where I feel like, Caleb, you and I are going to come from a different perspective on that second part. But on the first part, I think we would agree sure. that uh, with with him. That's that's my takeaway. I'm hoping I'm uh, accurately representing his kind of undergirding for his motivation. I think w- one of the things that it seems to me, and I, I, I maybe I'm wrong on this, but it seems to me like uh, Zach's position on this could be like, well, it's obvious. You know, uh, Easter eggs represent uh, fertility, bunnies represent fertility, um, and and the name Easter sounds like Ishtar, so obviously this all comes from paganism. Now, I, I'm not disagreeing that some of it may certainly come from paganism. That's not, I'm not, that, that Neither isn't... Neither did your dad's article. Exactly, exactly. But, that, but the point is, is that when we, when we talk about um, the way that we do scholarship, the way that we look at sources and, and all these kind of different things. Um, the problem is that if you don't go down the right, the right paths and the right steps, guess what? It doesn't, it doesn't make a good case. And uh, I think that Zach believes that he has made a good case, even though in reality he has not. And so let's keep going. So this, uh, we're still talking about, uh, he's still talking about Carnival in this in this clip. And uh, now he's talking about uh, Peter Mason, and he's the journalist that he referenced. Yeah, now he's going to talk about Peter Mason's book called Bacchanal. Okay? And let's listen to this. He calls it Bacchanal. That's interesting. Ba- why Bacchanal? I thought it was Carnival. Bacchanal. Well, when you do some more research, you find that Bacchus was the Roman god of wine, debauchery, fertility, and revelry. I mean, Nimrod, Nimrod, his name means rebellion. But Bacchus, meaning Barcus, son of Cush, that's what Barcus means. That's where Bacchus comes from, as Barcus, Nimrod, who was the son of Cush. It was Nimrod. So, right there, I think, I mean, I have basically proven carnival which is the celebration leading up to easter until lent okay because before before pope gregory and before some of these other uh, popes came in into power people celebrated carnival or bacchanal all the way up until the time of the spring equinox so he thinks he thinks that he's proven some, this now um now, I think that one of, one of the things that I think he kind of felt like people were saying, you're not giving good references. So it seems now like he's trying to give references. I put these in the show notes as well. Um, when when he says that Bacchanal is the god of wine and debauchery and all these things, and then he says that Bacchanal comes from Bar Kush, which would be... So he says that it's, that it's uh, like an Aramaic name. Correct. First of all, and then the ra- and then the ra- the R disappears. Yeah. So um, so yeah. so he he has these two he he has these two URLs that he puts as his reference up up on on uh, the screen. Now, 
I'm not trying to put Zach down, but this is, this is, I think what we've been talking about in terms of good references, good sources, cite your sources. What, I think he's trying, I think he's made an effort to do that. I think, I he, yeah, he, I, I think he's made an effort to do that, but I don't think but he, the, but, the, but what, let, let me clarify real quick, if I may just footnote sure. on that. Um, I did see where he posts a site, uh, he posts a quote, uh, and then he gives like the person who said it. And, and that's well, we should be more clear, Caleb, when we say cite your sources. Um, we, by, by citing your sources, we mean something different than what he does in that video. What we mean is who give the source so that the reader or the person viewing the video can follow up and find exactly the quote that you found where you found it. Not just tell me that Plato said this, right? It's attributed. We're not some about yeah, so, so, some guy somewhere about, one time in said. In other words, <laughs> we want to know who who made the English translation that you're reading because these aren't the the texts that he's quoting are not originally in English. He just well, gives we'll get us to that yeah. translation, and we're supposed to just take his word for it that this guy said this. What we need is you know the source. Like, is it a book? Uh, you know, when the book was published, who the translator was. Um, not only that, in the case where like the two different sources that uh, he provides the video, we need to know the manuscript history. Like one of these texts is like from the year 900, um, and but yet he's projecting that it's the this text in the year 900 is t telling us truth about something that was a thousand years plus prior. And so there are so many things that what we mean that we pack in the idea of cite your sources. Okay, hang on, just, but, but hang on, hang on. Wait, wait, though. You're getting way ahead of you, uh, way ahead of us here because let's fo let's focus for just a second on the two the two uh, links that he actually gives on this claim. First of all, that Bacchanal is the god of wine and, and the Roman god of wine and debauchery, which I which I think there is evidence for. But his source, which he gives the 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 URL that he gives, it is for a book. It's to purchase a book. I mean, this is a, I, maybe this is unfair of me. I call this the FFOZ uh, source. And this is because uh, Boaz Michael, one time he he made a claim in, in one of his books and his footnote was a reference to an entire book. You can't just reference an entire book. You have to try to show where a person can read where you're getting this theory from. And that basically uh, this URL takes you to purchase the book Saturnalia Volume 1, by Marcobius. Now, granted, this is an English translation of Saturnalia by Marco, Mark, uh, Marcrobius, and uh, so I actually want this book. But the fact is, is he gives no page numbers. He gives no, he gives nothing, which makes me wonder: Did he even find this in this book? So that's number one. The second, <laughs> uh, the the second URL that he gives is a book by Arthur Bedford written in the 17th to 18th century. Arthur Bedford makes the claim they can not be substantiated that uh, Barcanal uh, comes from Barcouche. This is his source for that. And why does Arthur Bedford assume this? Because it sounds like that. That's his, that's his theory. He connects it by saying, it sounds like Barcouche, therefore it's probably son of Couche. This is not a, a primary source. This is not a good source. And, you know, this is not, I, you know. So, yeah, just so people know, we don't have a bar. There is no word bar kush in the scriptures. Where there's kush, no question about that. And we read about the bene, bene kush 
somewhere in the scriptures, but no, uh, maybe once or twice. But th- yeah, so this is such a stretch. Um, this is right there with Hebrew word, word pictures, and this is right there with who is the guy Nolan saying that Ashkenazi from uh, Genesis 10 matches the Ashkenazi Jews of oh. medieval Germany and beyond, and it's just yeah. Um, so uh, uh, yeah, and what hotwire hotwire connections that are dangerous because there's I, no real you're you're short circuiting something. To to be fair to Zach, I don't think that he. I mean, and I'm not trying to put Zach down with this. I don't think that he's ever uh, been in an environment where he's really learn what a what a primary and a secondary source is. You can't and not only that, but I, I had to search for this within this book where this gentleman put Barkush. He didn't give page numbers or anything. He just references the whole book. And so it seems to me like there hasn't been a, a good uh a good tr- maybe a good training on on how to cite sources uh so that w- the people who are you know uh trying to research what you're saying can actually find them. Uh, because I, I think, uh, and this is not just to Zach, this is to a lot of people, you know, in the Hebrew roots and Messianic movement. I think a lot of the time, the idea is if I have a source and I show you the source, it, you're not going to go see it. You're just going to take my word for it. I think that's kind of the idea. Well, that uh, people who are really doing research on the stuff that you're looking at, they're going to actually go try to find exactly what your source is. So let's keep going because now the other two clips that I pulled, this is kind of what what uh, Rob was talking about, about these old sources that uh, that Zach is is now going to. These are his his sources that he believes proves um, that I, I, I'm not exactly sure what he thinks this proves, um, but... Oh, it's that eggs, that eggs are associated with... Fertility. For fertility and this Nimrod tradition, I think, if I remember right. Okay, so let's listen to his first source. Now, I think to a lot of people, this sounded really good, and this, this like, oh, this is the nail in the coffin kind of a thing. Um, take a listen to this, though. This was written by Hygienus. I believe that's how you pronounce his name. At 64 BC, 64 years before Christ, it says, Enter the Euphrates River an egg of wonderful size is said to have fallen, which the fish rolled to the bank. Doves sat on it, and when it was heated, it hatched out Venus, who was later called the Syrian goddess. Also goes by other names like Ishtar or Semiramis or other names. Ayana. This is 2,000-year-old text. 2,000-year-old text that links an egg with the birth of a sun goddess. 2,000-year-old text. You can't tell me now that eggs are not related to sun god or fertility worship. Because here it is, Venus, who was later called the Syrian goddess. She was a fertility goddess. And she was hatched out of an egg, according to Hygienus. Well, this is a legend. Obviously, he's just writing the legend. Okay, so there's so much that needs to be said about this that it's, uh, it, it, yeah. First of all, he he does cite a a book, okay, and he cites uh, he cites uh, Eugenius's uh, his constellation uh, book, which is written apparently in about 63 uh, BC. The problem is, is that he doesn't tell you, A, where – I'm assuming, and maybe I shouldn't assume, but I'm assuming that uh, Zach did not do his own translation from from this uh, from this text because this was not written in English, okay, obviously. So 
I'm assuming, and I could be wrong on this, but I'm assuming that this was written either in Greek or in Latin. And uh, so I'm, I, I'm assuming that Zach didn't do his own translation. Therefore, we need to know where he got his translation, if the translation is correct. And uh, there's a slew of different things. He doesn't give us... It, manuscript and, history. And manuscript history. He's, he's not right. giving it, us any a, of this. It's, exactly. It's the same thing like, you know, we talk about the, the pericope of the adulterous woman, right? It was this floating text. It lands into the tradition somewhere, you know, by the fourth century. It's, you know, we see, find it at the end of Luke. We find it at the end of John. We find it in Luke. And then all of a sudden it, we find it in John 8. And it's like, and later on we find out, wow, there's, there's things that change over time. Well, to be fair, if we're going to have this appreciation of manuscript history and how th documents change over time, we got to have that same appreciation here. It might be that that does not, uh, you know, if we sniffed all that out, that it wouldn't affect, maybe he'd still feel convicted in his claim, and that's fine. But there is some grunt work <laughs> that we have to do. Um, and, and the other thing is, is the, the tradition is that this uh, ancient uh, Latin author was born in like 64 B.C., not yeah. that he wrote it then. Yeah, exactly. He died in like, you know, in the first century sometime. So uh, so even the fact that he says that, he says, oh, from 64 B.C., and that is this 2,000-year-old text, to me, those are heightened, um, kind of charged uh, points where where the ship starts to steer a little, get a little bit off course. You might think that uh, we're, we're, people might think that we're nitpicking at this point, but what I'm trying to show here is just the way that you would cite a source, just at the very basic level, the way that you would cite a source. Help reader. This yeah, exactly. You want to help your audience follow up on what your claims are. That's what citing your source does. It means that they can go to the library, they can find exactly what, where you're building from so that they can evaluate whether they're going to interact with you and, and challenge you or agree with you. It's equipping your readers to, to view your perspective, not, uh, not something to bash them over the head with or to just make them feel like, you know, like you're legit. Okay. So, um, so, but, but let's, but here's another thing uh, on another hand, why not just, I think it'd be, what's needed if you really want to do this right you'd have to say let, let's look at all egg iconography in ancient mesopotamia let's look at all egg iconography in the greco-roman world okay oh, and and, um, and but here's and and this is the point let's pretend now now that we've t looked at at the the problem with with his citing of the source let's pretend for a few seconds that this translation is spot on it's right on it didn't come off the internet somewhere by some you know high school student or you know it, it's it's per it's a, a a great quote and it's perfectly translated great this still does not prove Zach's point. And the reason why is because we cannot connect the pagan god of Ishtar to the celebration of Easter. When did eggs come into the celebration of Easter? That's one thing, you know, one thing that I would like to see from, from uh, uh, studies and from apologists is when was the first reference to an Easter egg in history? Where do we have that? That's a good question to ask. I don't think that it was bad, you know, if basically what the problem that I see with this is that 
from his same argument, from Zach's same argument here, this text, if we're going to say that this proves that that, uh, that Easter is pagan, we'd have to say that it also proves that Passover is pagan. Why? Because Passover is celebrated during the sp spring equinox. And guess what? There's an egg on the Seder plate. Oh my word. It must be a fertility rite. Right? And not only that, but we see blood and, and, and wine imagery. This is all found in pagan uh, celebrations, right? So this, this must prove. Not, not, right. Not only that, but in Greek, even if you go into the Christian traditions like um, uh, Roman Catholic or, or East Greek Orthodox, they don't call it Easter. They call it Pascha. Pascha. Yeah, exactly. So, that, so it's, it, you'd still have people... You know, it's so yeah, uh, we need to kind of look at all the data and maybe relax, you know, turn the intensity down because I, I agree, I think we all agree, guard and protect the commandments. Sure, I, I, I don't think we're not quibbling about that. Okay, so, so he's got, I got one more quote from him. This is his second uh, source. Uh, this is so bad because he doesn't even give us a website where or of a book that he's found this in or anything. He just gives us information about that the person that scholars and archaeologists think the person might be a real person who might have actually written back, uh, you know, uh, years before Yeshua was on Earth. So we don't know. We don't know if he's getting this from a Stella. We don't know if he's getting this from a manuscript somewhere. We don't know if it's a secondary source written much later. We don't know. I mean, we, we know nothing about where, what this source is. He gives us no book that he's found this in, no page number, nothing. So this honestly, and I didn't even look on Wikipedia. This could be a Wikipedia quote. Who knows? 2,000-year-old text. Here's another one. This was written by Sanchoniathan. They estimate it's between 700 years to 1,200 years before our Messiah. The true date is unknown. We don't know when it was written. Uh, but archaeological evidence and excavations at this place called the Ugarit suggest that San, Sanchuniathan did, in fact, exist and his writings were real. Okay, okay. so, yeah. Okay, <laughs> can, I, can I talk about this one? Yes, go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is where we need to take a breath. Oh, man. And say, look, okay. It's Ugarit. Ugarit is a very important place because that's it's Rosh Shamra. That's where we got. Uh, that's where we learn uh, the language Ugarit, which is a cognate to Hebrew. Mm -hmm. That's where we learn of the Epic of Karet and the Ball Cycle and all yes. these kinds of things. Okay, it's a very important place. Yes, the the actual fact is that there are uh, little bits of mythology in found at Ugarit that that have some resonance with this uh, mythology recorded. I think it's Eusebius who actually records this, if I remember right, that he's quoting. So a fourth, fifth century church uh, historian. Second, um, second, uh, a secondary source at this point. Yeah, yeah, uh, and oh, very far removed. And that have some affinity with each other. It doesn't prove he exists. It, we're talking about uh, legends that seem to uh, tie in with one another. And where they tie in has nothing to do with this egg thing. So, uh, again, this is a, a sad uh, but short-circuited uh, connection of dots that if you just take a moment and breathe and you, and you look at the, uh, the, the nuance of detail, you go, okay, we're, 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 nothing to see here, you know. 
Um, oh, no. Oh. Uh, our chat room's doing work to see if they can find the quote in uh, in Wikipedia. They think they might have found something. Uh, let's keep going with, with the quote while our chat room <laughs> does some grunt work on this. <laughs> Here we go. Okay. Um, they were quoted by Eusebius and, um, and some others. But this is what he said. The night before heaven and earth were formed, he adds, that night first conceived a wind egg in the vast cavities of Erebus, that's uh, another god uh, who created the earth, out of which Cupid was hatched. This is almost 2,700-year-old text. No, it's not. And it's talking no, about an Cupid, egg in which... Oh. Go ahead. Oh, 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 no. No, I think his, his source... If I remember right, it's Eusebius. I, I could be wrong on that. It's not 2,700-year-old text. He's conflating um, evidence from Ugarit, which, which apparently he didn't even bother go and read, um, with this that doesn't say anything about eggs. I don't think there's anything about eggs at Ugarit that have to do with a fertility goddess or anything like that. Um, it's a later source. It's like a, like a AD, like fourth, I, uh, fifth century. But but now is he try? I, this is the other thing I'm I'm confused about. Now is he trying to bring in? Is he trying to bring in Cupid into Easter? Well, he's just saying he's. It seems like he's just throwing a bunch of stuff on the wall and see seeing what sticks. what sticks. That's that's. Here's the other. Here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. Okay, and now let's give now now I'll I'll I'll, I'll stand up for Zach just a little bit. Here we go. In a lot of the comments on my Facebook page in this thread that that were going on, people were saying, "Oh, this is horrible." You know, this Zach is making the the Hebrew roots movement look bad with this because he's not, you know, he's not being honest with the sources and these kind of things. That's nonsense. If you think, if you, if you think, uh, let's take a look at this and the Hebrew roots movement really quick. Uh, uh, so we have uh, uh, Monty Judah, uh, Michael Rood, uh, Lou White, uh, uh, Rob Skiba. This is the the level of of uh, of scholarship that we have in the Hebrew Roots movement. Now all of a sudden Zach comes along and ruins it. No, he is literally carrying on the tradition that has been started within the Hebrew Roots movement. Uh, and our our chat room has now found said quote. Uh, thank you, Gary, in the chat room. Where is this from? Uh, Wind egg, heaven night before heaven. Remarks on the history two o nine. Hmm, interesting. San Chenyathos history translated from the first book. Interesting. All right. Here, let's put this. Oh, it's in the chat room for those who would like to see it. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, I'm not sure. But th see, this is even this. Uh, thank you very much, Gary, for for posting this. But the point is, is that all he would have had to do is is cite this with a with a page reference, and then we wouldn't have had to find it through Wikipedia, right? Anyway, um, so it would be interesting to look at this book and find whether or not uh, 
whether or not this, you know, these, this is a, a good translation where they, you know, what they took this from all sorts of stuff. Uh, so anyway, uh, maybe we'll do some work on that as well. Um, so anyway, uh, the point here is that I'm sorry. I just don't think that this, I want to believe, I want to believe that there is paganism within the bunnies and the, and, and the eggs and all these kind of things. And I don't have a problem saying that there probably is. That's not the point. I don't have to make up uh, uh, stories and, and implant all this stuff that cannot be connected in any way, shape, or form through historical evidence. Here, here's another thing, Caleb. If you just look online and be careful because you never know what you're going to get if you've had kids around. But if you search Google ish, images of uh, Ishtar from the ancient world, like like from inscriptions and uh, seal uh, cylinder seals and things like that, and then you took and then say, okay, this represents popular imagery associated with Ishtar. And you went to a Sunday, you know, Resurrection Sunday or Easter service where they had eggs. And you said, this is, this is where this comes from. People would like, get that out of here. That is no place here. Right? They, the image of the woman, you know, naked woman with the wings and the, 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 the different iconography, what she's holding, the different things. Um, but maybe, maybe, okay, let's let, let me play devil's advocate here. Maybe that's the modern church. The question that I would have is at what point let's pretend now, let's pretend for a few seconds that, uh, uh, let's pretend for a few seconds that this, this actually is all pagan and comes from Ishtar. Okay. Okay. So we have the church, we have the church, uh, celebrating the resurrection of Christ on a Sunday. Right. And, and now, uh, when pass, when the time of Passover comes up, what's going to happen, they're going to have this huge celebration, right? Because of the risen Lord. Right. Okay. So every year they start celebrating this and then there's this split, right? There's the split between the, the, the Greek Orthodox and the Catholic church. And this happens later, but what's it over? It's over whether or not you celebrate the resurrection of Christ on Nissan 14 or whether or not you do it on a Sunday, disassociated it from the Jewish people. Was there eggs and bunnies being looked at during this time? That's, that would be one of my questions. And from what we can tell, no, none of that had come in yet, right? This is all much later. Okay, so then you have the church, which is now well-established, right? Constantine has now made this a, a national religion, so on and so forth. Uh, at what point does somebody say, hey, I got this goddess Ishtar here. She liked eggs. Let's bring eggs in. And everybody in the church just says, yeah, okay. Now, I'm not saying that that's not a possibility. What I'm saying is, is don't... I, I would think, I would, I would think, and maybe I'm wrong and I'd love to do some work on this, which I, I haven't looked to see what the church fathers, if they, if they actually talk about this, but I don't actually see a time when people are like, uh, these people are trying to bring in traditions that certainly do not. We see this with Christmas, right? The reformers are like, Christmas is a, is a holiday that certainly was not the, the birth of the Messiah, blah, blah, blah. Okay. And, and, and Spurgeon speaks against it and all these kind of things. Why don't we see this with Easter and, and with the bunny and the eggs? That's my question. I'm not saying that they're not, I'm not saying that they're not pagan. All I'm saying is, is that we don't see outcry from some within writers within the church saying they're bringing paganism into our celebration of the risen Lord. Why not? If it's so pagan, why not? And well, he might he might argue 
that because they were blind to it and that they had pagan they were coming from a, a, a practice that already maybe celebrated eggs and so they're like pasting a new religion on an old one and the old one is still sticking around i think that's kind of what he's or what he would argue don't you think yeah, I think so, probably. But I, once again, I, I, my point is, is that we don't see any proof of it. And we don't see Easter being uh, associated at all, like Ishtar being associated with Easter. Once again, it, it seems as though the earliest reference we have is of Eostra. Gary in the chat room says the use of wind egg doesn't mean an Easter egg. From the few sources I just read, it carries a much different meaning. Spiritual germ is wind I don't wind even egg. know what... I don't even know what wind egg is in the original I, language. Yeah. Like, what I, was the... Yeah. Is that... I, I don't know. I I don't even know. Yeah. I, I, I'm showing my own ignorance here. Um, yeah. Anyway, so uh, once again, you know, we've spent... We were going to spend like 10 minutes on this. We've now spent almost 50 minutes on it. Um, and so uh, I'm... I'm not trying to, and PJ's right in the chat room, the, the Quattro controversy did, though, displace Passover with the resurrection celebration. I completely agree. The, the reason that the, that the church, the church, at this point wanted to, uh, wanted to celebrate uh, the resurrection of the Messiah on a Sunday, on a fixed Sunday every year, and not only that, they didn't want it to coincide with Nisan 14. The reason why is because they didn't want to celebrate at the same times the Jews the Jews were celebrating Passover. I well, I, wait a minute. Wait, that's they I, I, that might be a part of it, but they wanted it to be. They wanted to celebrate on Sunday, Friday, yeah, Friday and a Sunday. That's You're what right. They wanted, and but they did say it's got to be after the equinox, and it has to be after the first full moon. Yes, I agree. There, there was a lot going on there. They're they're actually yeah. oriented it to solar and lunar calendars but they but they're privileging it it being on a friday slash sunday around a shabbat rather than a weekly shabbat rather than privileging the idea of a nissan 14 so which uh, which which i think i think is another uh possible evidence that the early or maybe maybe i shouldn't say that Maybe the, uh, and it might have been later, three, four, five, six hundreds. At, at some point, we see that the church certainly believed that Yeshua died on a Friday, rose on a Sunday, right? Right. So, um, yeah. But, yeah, I agree with you. The, the, it's not like the church was sitting there wringing their hands saying, uh, you know, there was all these different little nuances that went in. Tons of debate. Um I love Gary keeps posting. I know you can't see the chat, Rob, but I, Gary I keeps. Have I have Facebook off right now. Gary keeps posting all these great links. He just posted the Chicken Encyclopedia. <laughs> I'm assuming this. I got another source. He says, "I'm assuming this has to do with eggs, of course." And and of course, one of the questions that would have to be asked is, okay, if 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 the egg isn't from paganism. Why would the church incorporate eggs and bunnies into its celebration? Now, there have been some some Christian apologists who try to deal with this. I've heard different theories on this. I think some of them are better theories than than others. I think uh, Mike was telling me that maybe it's the Eastern Church, the Greek Orthodox, who uh, have traditionally painted eggs red and not different colors, but 
red eggs. I think I've seen something like that before, but I have no clue about where it comes from. Do you know what sealed the deal for me? What's that? Uh, in which way? To, see, to, see, to seal the deal with what I think Zach Bauer is trying to argue is a giant like or like an inscription or like a, a, a carving like you see of the ancient Ishtar in Mesopotamia of a giant bunny with a little basket full of eggs. <laughs> and like, you know, with, with some sort of spring uh, reference and, a, and then a story about it. Um, You know, I, I I don't know what I don't know what to say about it. I I I my angle my angle my ankle my angle is this is that disciples of Yeshua who are all in and who are willing to say you know what I I need to learn I'm learning about God's law that's what they're going to be focused on and that's that's where they're going to be fruitful and that's where they're going to grow um, bringing um, the kind of cases, what I what seemed to me is like manufactured, doctored case, evidence cases against pagan influence, uh, pagan influence, doesn't is is only going to add noise, right? It's it's only going to add. It's not going to help, right? Um, in the long run, because in the long run, at the end of the day, we have our scriptures that Baruch Hashem. God has preserved in the world. Hebrew, we've got the Aramaic, we've got the Greek, we've got manuscript, pretty guarded manuscript traditions. We've got uh, people like Dr. Wallace, you know, who's a leader on the New Testament side, etc. We That's what we're dealing with here. And that's that's where we're going to get our nourishment for our faith, etc. And so that that's our orientation. That's where the, the rooting and grounding is. Um, I think learning to deal honestly and carefully with sources is going to be a, a natural outgrowth of that because the Torah says use just weights and measures and, and um, search a matter out fully. You know, these sorts of principles that are in the Torah for us and are for our good and for our blessing. I, it I, also says back to the matzah thing. Don't don't. And I, I'm guilty. I can say this because I've been guilty of it myself, you know, presuming knowledge Presuming to have knowledge that I don't in fact have. Presuming to know something that I really don't know. And that's what we call zeal. Paul calls that zeal without knowledge. Um, and we all need to be on guard for that. And that's going to mean something for each one of us. Each one of us is a disciple of Yeshua. So we, not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. We want to have be, be sober-minded about who we are, what we've been given, what we have. Because Yeshua says to the one who has more will be given. Mm. But to the one who doesn't have, what he seems to have will be taken away. we got to take that to heart, and we got to say, okay, where are my strengths? What, are, what is the giftings that God's given me? And I might, do, do I have a sober assessment of what that is? And am I being a good steward? And am I seeking wisdom and counsel and guidance as I learn to, to be a good steward of what he's given me? So then God will give increase, and I grow in that strength to the blessing and, and benefit of, of other members of the body of Messiah. So I, I think I have multiple thoughts on this. First, I think that Zach Bauer truly believes that he has done good scholarly work to search this out. 
But I also think that this is one of the benefits to getting a more formal education in that you are challenged and you are pushed by your instructors, peer, peer review, and by even by the people, yeah, even by the other people in the and class and, and your instructors, they, they, they are going to tell you, I'm sorry, this doesn't, this link, or, you know, this does not work as a reference. This yeah, does not work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You have to rewrite this because this is not a valid point, so on and so forth. And I'm not putting Zach down for, but uh, what I'm saying is, is that I think that this is one of the benefits of of getting some some more formal education, even if it's just a couple of classes, is that you do have to. It's a more rigorous uh, way to to go about things. Um, and I hope that one of the things that we've shown, maybe you know, maybe some people who aren't going to get uh, uh, high, any form of higher education, uh, maybe one of the things that we've shown, hopefully in this show is simply uh, uh, ways that you would need to cite sources, which is that you, you know, when if you're going to quote something or make a statement about a fact, what you have to do is you have to quote an author, you have to quote a book, and if possible, you need to quote a facsimile or a, uh, you know, a manuscript or maybe... Who an, translated it, Who right? translated author, I mean, editor. This. Imagine if I just kept giving you Bible quotes and I'm making, and I'm giving you, I'm making a very serious life changing claim that I'm that I'm preaching to you but I'm not telling you what translation I'm using do you do you, do you understand how we to be genuine and you know we would want to make sure that we're saying okay now this is the NASB that I'm using or this is the K, KJV or whatever we we're at a point in time where we need to include that kind of information in our citation because we need to we need to honor and respect our audience as as thinking uh, people who are going to form their own opinion, um, and it's not what we're not doing. Uh, got something, you know? There's nothing up my sleeve, you know. Or we're not doing the the shell game kind of thing. We need to be straightforward with um, with what we can show and what we what we can't show, and what is speculation. No doubt. You know, I, 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 this is totally off topic. It, somebody first, let's say this. Somebody, uh, Yvonne, in the in the chat room says Zach's heart is in the right place, but that isn't enough. And I think what that comment means is that you know your heart can be in the right place, but you know I might I might want to help you if you have kidney failure. My heart might be in the right place, but if I don't have any training in how to do it, I'm not going to be able to take your kidney out. That's all. That's all there is to it. Um, I see a lot of comments in the uh, in the chat on Facebook that uh, this chat room is not the easiest to use. In other words, people are saying uh, that they can't see links. They say they're saying all sorts of different things about this. Maybe what would uh, I'll try to figure out a, a good solution for this. I think what we might do is we might open up the the old chat room, but just in chat form and not in video form. And uh, then people could watch on Facebook and chat if they wanted to in the in the main chat. Um, tell let let me know what you think about that um, because I think that that would work, um, and that way everyone would be able to see it whether they were in the chat room or not. And um, and those who were special and got the show notes would uh, be able to. Um, <laughs> chat in the actual chat room. And that way other people who uh, didn't get the show notes could still make comments in the comment section, but there would be a lot less comments. 
So maybe we'll try that next week. I, we're still trying to figure out kind of this whole live stream thing. We're trying to figure out, you know, uh, the other thing is, is that this show, the Robin Caleb show originally started on air at, on Torah Resource Radio, and we continue to broadcast this every week on Torah Resource Radio. So we have to remember that there are people who can't see us and people who aren't chatting um, and that... Uh, uh, so, you know, it, it, that was the first medium, but we're trying to branch out because uh, I think it's more exciting for people to be able to see our reactions when we're shocked over things and face palming our, ourselves over listening to things. I know this has been a little bit of a shorter show. We're just at an hour. That's okay. We were going to talk about Takun Olam, but there's absolutely no way we can talk about Takun Olam in the next half an hour. I think that's an hour long, two hour long show, uh, in and of itself. So, um, all right. Well, next week, hopefully, uh, let's see here. What are we doing next week? We have one more week, right? Uh, we should plug a couple of things before we go. Tomorrow, uh, Michael Gonzalez, myself, and Adam Smith. Adam Smith is a uh, one of the owners in Hidden Legend Winery in Mo Montana. He will be coming on to our Preparing for Passover live stream tomorrow, Thursday at 1 o'clock. And he will be talking about the question, is beer and wine, and hard alcohol, uh, should we take that out of our house on Passover? Um, and this is an obvious question in terms, of, um, in terms of leaven because beer is made with yeast. So uh, that's, that's what we'll be talking about tomorrow. Um, next week, we have one more show. Rob and I have one more show next week, and then the week after that, April 12th, will be our Passover special. It will be pre-recorded. Um, because we're doing it with uh, Dr. Petrie, and because it's the day after Nissan 15, which is a festival Shabbat. So I don't think that Rob and I would have time to prepare uh, for the Passover special, so we're going to pre-record it. But you will be able to listen to that April 12th. It'll go online on April 12th, and I would encourage everyone to tune in for that. I think it's going to be a really fun show. I'm really excited to have Dr. Petrie on and uh, to pick his brain about his book, Jesus in the Last Supper. He also wrote another book, uh, which somebody referenced in the chat room recently, uh, just a few minutes ago, which was the, uh, what is it, the Jewish Roots of the Eucharist. Um, or the Jewish origins of the Eucharist, something like that. Anyway, uh, it's going to be a, a very a very fun show. So next week, we hope to see you back here, and uh, we will uh, try a new chat room. Anything else to say before we go? Nope. Okay. Well, good discussion. In, good discussion. in that case, I, I hope that uh, if you've done nothing else, I hope that you have maybe learned a little bit about what we mean by good sources, how to cite sources, all these kind of things, um, and maybe how to research a little bit. We would encourage everyone to get a little bit of higher education. You can do that at Torah Resource Institute. Go to TorahResourceInstitute.com and start taking classes at Torah Resource Institute. Our first class uh, of the spring quarter started yesterday, and there's still a little bit of time to register for the spring quarter. Until next time, we hope that this discussion not only benefited you, but also that it glorified our great God and Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah. <laughs>